Well, hey, once again, good morning. It is good to see all of you this morning. And again, many of you know that my name is Mike and I'm on staff here at Refuge. It's my joy and honor to get to bring the word of God before us this morning. If this is your first time with us or maybe you've been with us for quite some time, we are, we are just delighted that you have decided to spend some time with us this morning. We hope that you find this to be a sacred place for growth and purpose. And today we're going to be uh, kicking off our next series, the Psalms of Summer. If you were with us last year, this might sound familiar. We spent some time in the Psalms last year, uh, but we decided that it, it might be wise to, to reflect on a few more today and see how that may impact our walk with God, our discipleship journey. So if you have your Bibles with you, now would be a great time to get those out. If it's a hard copy or maybe it's digital on your phone, that's fine. If you need a Bible, take one from the pew back in front of you. That's why they're there. We're going to be in the book of Psalms this morning, specifically in chapter 113. Now, as you're turning there, I'd like for you to consider a question, if you will. And that is, when you think about God, who or what comes to mind? A.W. Tozer famously said that uh, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so uh, what comes into your mind? When you think about God, is he this, this, the, the, the being that is the embodiment of love, who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger, who is faithfully loving and he is uh, forgiving and just? Or maybe do you think of God as this indifferent uh, being that lives in the sky, who created all things and kind of put the world up on a shelf and left it to run on its own end. And all roads really lead to God and to the good place, just as long as you're not that bad. But even then, it's, it's, it's okay. We can all get there together. Or is he up there and, and harsh and short-tempered and, and just waiting like big brother watching you for the moment you step out of line? He loves you. He just doesn't like you all that much. And, and the moment that you cross a line, he's just waiting with that lightning bolt to smoke you. Perhaps you don't know about God. And it's, it's an idea that you're open to, but you just haven't found uh, God or a God who is compelling and, and has satisfied the questions that you have. Or maybe you find yourself where I was not too long ago. You see, I really liked Jesus, at least most of what he said. Some of the stuff made me uncomfortable, but the Holy Spirit, I, I wasn't too sure about. And, and yet this God that I would read about in the Old Testament who was genocidal. And he would make rules that, that just kept me from living into the fullness of my life. I wasn't really a big fan of, but Jesus I loved. When you think about God, who or what comes into your mind? And, and I think this is an important question to consider because this is actually somewhat foundational for the psalm that we're about to go into. And with that, let's turn our attention to Psalm 113. And it begins like this. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. The leaves wither and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time for us to gather and, and turn our attention to you. And God, I pray that, that during this time, you would just make us aware of your presence. God, that you would make us aware of who you are. God, that you would bring room for truth, clarity, and discernment. God, that you would allow us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand, God, what it is that you have for us this morning. God, I just pray above all things that you would make it clear. And God, anything that, that, that is me, anything that's Mike, God, would we not walk out of here remembering a single moment of, but God, whatever is of you, God, whatever word that you have for us this moment, God, would you, would you just speak? Would you plant it, God, that, that, that we would become people who, who delight in your word? God, a people whose, whose fruit is good in its season and whose leaf does not wither. God, teach us to walk with you. Teach us to love you. We ask and pray for all this by the power that's in the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so right from the jump, we see this command. We see to praise the Lord. And, and the psalm actually begins and ends with this command, to praise the Lord. And what's cool about this is this is the takeaway from the psalm. It's not super complicated. We are to praise God. Right, literally, hallelujah. In fact, Spurgeon remarked when looking at this psalm that it's so simple, it does not need much exposition or explanation. We're to praise God. And I agree with him. I do think, though, that it raises the question of, well, which God are we to praise? You see, the writer, whenever he wrote this psalm, presumed that the reader knew exactly which God he was talking about. In fact, he, he actually takes it a step further and, and, and indicates here that, that we're to praise the name of the Lord, which brings us to this reality that, that God has a name. And that might feel kind of obvious to some of us, right? You might be thinking to yourself, Mike, I know God has a name. His name is God. And that's, that's not wrong, right? We shouldn't stop calling him God. Some of us call him Father. Some of us call him Lord. But uh, that's actually not what's, what's written here. If, if you look at your text and you see that, that notation where the Lord is in all capital letters, that's the, the, the Hebrew way of writing the sacred name of God, which is Yahweh. And I think this is important to stop and dwell on for a second because we need to remember that, that names were significant, especially in the ancient Near East, right? They, they, they didn't just tell you how one ought to be called. They, they established what one was all about, right? We just, we came through this series on Jacob. Think back to that for a second, right? And one of the core themes in that story was Jacob's name, how his name literally meant deceiver. He was a heel grabber who was identified with the heel biter in Genesis, who was the serpent. And what we see throughout his story is God taking one who was essentially the son of a serpent and turning him into a child of the promise, giving him a new name, a new identity, a new core being. The, the name described the very essence of who one is. And so we see God's name announced in great detail in a passage that's actually found in Exodus. It's Exodus 34, 6, and 7. I'm going to have it on the screens, but you can turn there if you want to. And, and the reason that I think this is important is because the biblical authors thought it was important. This passage is actually one of, if not the most quoted passage in all of Scripture. 
This passage lays out a a foundation for your theology, what you think about God and who he is. And and so uh, to to just kind of set the scene, God had just taken the people of Egypt or people of Israel out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea and they're now camped out around Mount Sinai. He's given Moses the Ten Commands and, and, and Moses in a conversation with God simply says, God, show me your glory. And God chuckles and says, Moses, I I can't, you'll die. But here's what we'll do. Stand, turn and face the cleft of the rock and I'll place my hand over you as I pass by and I will declare who I am. I will show you what I'm all about. And that's what we find here in Exodus 34, beginning in verse 6. We see the Lord, again, that means Yahweh. Yahweh passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh. And then he goes on to explain exactly what his name means. We see that he's, he's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth. And so here's what that looks like broken down. We we need to look at this for a second. We need to remember who this God is. Yahweh, he is merciful. Some of your translations are going to read compassionate. And that's, that's dead on, but he's merciful and gracious. And these two words actually go hand in hand. But the coolest part about this is when, when the biblical authors, specifically in, in the Hebrew Bible, when they would list a characteristic about something, the first thing's the most important. So whatever comes first is driving everything else. It is the, the core aspect of the personality. And Yahweh comes forward and says, I am merciful and I am gracious. And I love this because this is such a core piece of who he is. This drives everything else about him. We actually see this in the story of Jonah, right, which, which is a sermon in and of itself. But Jonah's called to go to the, the town of Nineveh, which was terrible. The things that they did in acts of war and, and all of that. And God said, I'm going to bring judgment. Go tell them to repent. Jonah doesn't want to do it through a turn of events that involves a fish and some time in there. He, he ends up back in Nineveh, though. And he says, repent, judgment's coming. And the people do it. They humble themselves before God and God relents. He changes his mind. But here's the best part about this. As we think about who God is, Jonah actually gets really upset with God and he throws this verse back in God's face. And he says, I didn't want to come here because I knew you were merciful and gracious. I knew that you are so moved by your compassion, by this mercy that's deeply embedded within you that you are a gracious God. And I love it. Like it, that, that would be enough for who this God is, but he doesn't stop there. It says that he's, he's slow to anger. This, this could also work as patient. A better word is long suffering. This actually quite literally means that he's long in the nose, which is that it takes a long time for his face to get hot whenever he's upset. It, it, it's showing us that this is a God who's willing to put up with a lot. And why? Because what's driving it, it's his mercy. It's his compassion. It's his grace. And he's so willing to, to, to look at the rest of, of, of the world and all the other wills that are running around doing whatever they want. And he's putting up with it because he is merciful and gracious. Not only is he patient, not only is he long-suffering, 
but he is faithfully loving. He's the God who is always there, always loving in the midst of whatever it is that that we're walking through. We see this with the story of Israel. See, the the, the story of Israel isn't necessarily about a, a people group, that if they had just gotten everything right, if they'd just done exactly what God said that they should do, then, then it would have solved everything. That's not the story of Scripture. The story of Scripture points to Christ. But what we do see is we see this God who in the midst of Israel's rejection time and time and time and time and time again is there faithfully loving them every step of the way. He's always there. And we see this in our own life. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave this God I love. How many times do we stray off of what God is calling us to do? It doesn't mean he always saves us from the repercussions. It doesn't mean that there's not a little bit of tough love, but it does mean that he is always there, faithfully loving us in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through. There's this narrative right now that, that, that God is just supposed to accept you exactly how you are, but friends, can, can I just push on that and say, it's not a question about whether or not God loves you. It's a question about whether or not you love God. He's always there faithfully loving. And not only that, but he is forgiving and he is just. His mercy, his grace is is driving all these aspects of his character. He puts up with so much. And he's constantly there at the end of every single day. And what's waiting for you, if you will have it, is forgiveness. That is what this God is about. Driven by his mercy, driven by his grace, driven by that compassion that he has, is this forgiveness for those who will have it. But he's also the God of justice. Now that's the part that'll make some of us kind of go like this. And go, ah, I don't know that I like that. I don't even like when God can judge me. But if I may, I think you actually do. How many times do we turn on the news and we see another murder? We see another assault? We see uh, the, the, the horrors of human trafficking continuing to be exposed. We find out about the, the, the living conditions of um, uh, a mother with many kids across the entire globe who's working seven days a week, not making any sort of a wage so that I can have a cheap pair of shoes. And something deep within us goes, something needs to stop. Something has to change. That's a cry for justice. That's a cry for justice that is deep within each and every one of us. And not only does God, Yahweh, have that same cry, but he actually enacts it. He actually comes through and lives out what this justice looks like. But don't forget, that's what's listed last. His mercy, his grace, his patience, his love and faithfulness in that. And his forgiveness far outweighs that justice every single time. And so what we learn from this passage, right, is that that God has a name, but not only does he have a name, this is a name that distinguishes him from anyone else. His name is so different. What comes with his name, what that looks like, what that means, despite what the world wants us to believe, which is that all these religions have so much in common, and they do. But there are irreconcilable differences about who this God is that can't be solved with other tracks and other paths. This God is so different. He's the God of mercy and grace. He's the God that's so faithful in his love that he said, I myself will do this thing. That my creation can have a way to forgiveness, to be reconciled to me. 
as I am bringing justice for the poor, the abused, the hurt, the broken. He is so different than any other God. And so I want to pause and just ask, does this description line up with how you think about God? And you think about that question at the very beginning of this. Does this description line up with, with those thoughts? Does it come into alignment with how you have seen God in the past? Because this is who he is. And here's the beautiful thing about it. He doesn't leave us to blindly stumble around and try to figure out and conversations and, and all the like that, that, uh, of who he is. He has it written down for us exactly who he is, what this looks like, what that means. And it's because of who this God is that we actually get to bless him. We get to sing with praise and joy that this God is merciful, that this God is, is, is of mercy and grace and forgiveness, and he's not demanding my unborn child. But he's the God that is constantly loving me, that I don't have to validate that love time and time and time again. He already loves me. And so if you look back at 113, I know we're one verse in, we'll go a lot quicker. But the psalmist reminds us of this and says that blessed be the name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of Yahweh is to be praised. Why? Because there is no one who is like him. That's what I love about this psalm. The, the, the psalmist comes back. He says, the Lord is high above. Yahweh is high above all the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like Yahweh? Show me another one. Show me another God that, that, that looked at the broken estate of his creation and said, I'm not just going to leave them there. I'm going to do something. Show me another God who, who was so compelled by his compassion, by the mercy within him to act in grace upon grace upon grace so that in the midst of everything else, all the chaos and all the ruin that is happening in the world, the sun would still shine and the rain would still fall on the wicked and the righteous. That he would still extend grace to those who were far from him. Show me another God that is like this God. And look at what he does. Keep going. He is the God who does what? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He makes a place for the poor and needy at the table of princes. He's the God who, who gives the barren woman not just a home, but fills it, sometimes with children, sometimes with other means. That's who this God is. And who does that sound like? When I read this, I don't hear the God that pop culture wants me to believe in. I hear the name of Jesus. And can I tell you that that is because Jesus is Yahweh. This is the God that Jesus claimed to be time and time and time again. When Jesus claimed to be God, he didn't just want to add his name to the pantheon. He said, this is who I am. And, and if I can take it a step further, I think this is why Jesus is so compelling. I think this is why not just religious historians, but secular historians will have written books about who Jesus is and how compelling he is as a person. I think this is why Christianity, despite uh, whatever pop culture might say about it, is still somewhat compelling to people because of the person of Jesus. He is God in the flesh walking among us. He is this mercy and grace, this long-suffering, 
this faithful love, this forgiveness, and this justice walking among us. To go one step farther, I cannot say this any more clearly. There's not an angry God of the Old Testament. There is not an angry God who is short-tempered and got a lot of things wrong. And so he kept making rules upon rules upon rules, and, and, and the, the, the people just couldn't figure it out. Creation couldn't figure it out, and so God was ready to smoke them. But then he had this son who went to college and got a liberal arts degree and came back with long hair and Birkenstocks and said, Dad, we got to chill out. He went, okay. That's not the story of the Bible. And if that's how we're reading it, friends, I think that might be uh, failing to read Scripture in a way that points to the personhood and the work of Christ and the God that he reconciles us to. This is part of what makes the good news actually good. Have you ever thought about that? Why is it good news? Right? The news that Jesus is Lord is only good because of the kind of Lord that he is. Just think about that. If, if Jesus was a jerk, but he lived his life, he fulfilled the law, he hung on the cross, he was dead and buried, and on the third day he rose again, and then he ascended to God, and he sits at the right hand, but he was a jerk. Is that really the kind of Lord that you want to have? So think again, if Jesus is awesome, which he is, if Jesus is good, which he is, and he came and he lived and fulfilled the law to the full, he took the weight of my sin upon him and the weight of your sin upon him that whoever believed in his name would not perish but would have eternal life reconciled to God he died on that cross and he was crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day, he rose again. And then he ascended into heaven and he now sits at the right hand of God. That's good news because of the kind of Lord Jesus is. But wouldn't that also depend on the God that he reconciled me to? If he reconciled me to a God who was just waiting for me to make an error and to make a mistake so that he could just kick me out and move on with his plan. Is that a God you really want to be reconciled to? The good news is that God doesn't exist because the God that we read about in scripture is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's faithfully loving and he's forgiving. For any who would have him, there is always, there's always, there's always forgiveness. And that is the God that Jesus reconciles us to. The one where there is mercy and grace in all things, who is motivated by that, who has loved me from the beginning. And I don't have to validate any of that because of who my God is. This is Yahweh, the Lord, our God. And so it brings us back to how this psalm ends. We get to praise God for who he is for what he's done. We get to praise God because he's, he's not short-tempered, he's not unfair, he's not warmongering, genocidal, he's not a sadistic maniac. But he is the Lord over all things who rules with mercy, grace, patience, faithful love, forgiveness, and justice. 
said another way, praise Yahweh for who he is.